0: You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network.
1: Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast.
0: Hi, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast, and you're listening to X-Men Episode 1, Part 2, dealing with the back half of the first Epic Collection, the first X-Men Epic Collection, Children of the Atom. This is issues from 1965 and 1966. I am your host, Curtis Findlay.
2: And I am your X-Men host, Jared Abrahamson.
0: And we're going to pick up right where we left off in the last episode. We're going to start with issue number 12 and run all the way to issue number 23 and uh, and have some great conversation. We dealt with the Twitter polls and the listener comments in the last issue. So really, all we need to do is kind of jump into here. Well, just before we jump into the uh, to the issues, I want to say that uh, I posted recently an interview with Roy Thomas talking about the X-Men And I have some clips that I'm going to play about his involvement in these early days throughout this episode. So stay tuned for that. If you want to hear the rest of the interview, you can go through my archives and search. It was just a few weeks ago, so you should be able to find that pretty easy. Uh, Or use the index button that's at the top of my website at epicmarvelpodcast.com. In case you, for some reason, didn't hear the last episode, Jared, is there anything we need to know before jumping into the rest of this epic collection?
2: Magneto was just uh, taken into space with, uh, along with Toad. Yeah, and then we also met uh, Lucifer. Right, right. But that's, yeah, that becomes important, but not not very um <laughs> yeah well and yeah. also the
0: we met we had encounters with the blob and eunice and they come back it's kind of like they just that's kind true. of uh second appearances of, of a lot of the characters we met in the first first half of this book yeah so it's not essential you can hop into the half of the book but if you have the book i don't know why you would start in the middle of the book anyway so <laughs> you probably yeah. have read up to this point
2: so the yeah that's yeah. true <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, Maybe if you really like Juggernaut, you could start with this issue. But sure.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> this. Let's just go right into issue number twelve because this is one of the best issues in the book. Uh, this two-parter right here.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is probably my favorite story in the book. Yeah. And actually, I thought I felt like it had a, a lot of a lot of tension. <laughs> oh, absolutely. The story is basically that Cerebro lets out an alarm that you know a super powerful uh, mutinous coming their way and so they're (laughs) going around the the mansion and setting traps and just making sure you know to stop this whatever it is that's coming and well what's coming is the juggernaut and you know the juggernaut cannot be stopped (laughs) (laughs) yeah and xavier is just freaked
0: out he's absolutely beside himself because he knows what this threat is and Mm -hmm. like the students have never seen him so scared
2: yeah and for uh, for most of the issue, you, you don't see I me. Mean, you really don't get a good look of at Juggernaut until the the very last panel where he he's broken through all of their traps that they set, and he's like, "Okay, now I'm going I'm going to kill you all." Yeah, <laughs> basically. So Juggernaut is uh, Professor X's uh, step brother. Who and he's not actually a mutant, he, he found a magic crystal. Yes, that's right. Why that would appear on Cerebro, I don't know. But That's a good point.
0: Yeah. He, why he's he's not a mutant. So the the alarm shouldn't be sounding. That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The the crystal is the famous now some people pronounce it, pronounce it Mkron crystal, some people pronounce it the "macron crystal um they in this one they don't I don't think they call it that at all, do they? They just call it the no. crimson c- crystal of Sidorak yeah, yeah, which is something that Dr. Strange has been talking about in his book for a while. He always references the crimson bands of Sidorak and and that kind of thing. So this is tying it in. In fact, the, the next appearance of Juggernaut after this X-Men appearance is going to be in Doctor Strange. Okay. Um, dealing with some of that. And yeah. So this this issue I really liked because not only does it inc- build incredible tension as, they are, uh, as they're waiting for this Juggernaut to come closer and closer and through all their defenses. And we don't get a good look at him and stuff. But it also weaves in the story of... Of Xavier's childhood, mm-hmm. growing up with Cain Marco and uh, and his stepfather, and we find out we already knew that his that Xavier's parents were involved in the creation of the atom bomb, but we found out that because of the radiation, the the Holocaust, um, that's when Xavier's father died, and so her, yeah. his mom had to remarry, or didn't have to remarry. His mother remarried. Uh, to hit one of his partners, who is not the greatest guy. In fact, we find out that he may very well be responsible for the death of Xavier's dad. So it was good to get this. Uh, the whole time I was thinking the origin of Professor X is going to have to explain his legs, but they don't get to that part of the story at all. Nope. Saving nope. that
2: for Lucifer. That's that's true, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. it uh, doesn't explain. It doesn't really explain why he's uh, you know bald either. I mean, because it shows him as a kid with with hair.
0: Yeah, and then just one uh, panel, all of a sudden he has no hair. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, not that that really needs explaining, but it's just.
0: <laughs> well, like, it, did he lose it prematurely, or does he shave his head? We don't really know. <laughs> it's all a mystery. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess it could have been because of the the radiation would make it fall out, but you know. Yeah. Who knows.
0: So this issue has layouts by Jack Kirby, but it's actually penciled by Alex Toth. And this is very unusual because Alex Toth rarely ever did anything in the superhero genre. He worked for Marvel a lot, um, but it was in like the Westerns and the romance comics he didn't really step into the superhero side at all. So, And his style is not really recognizable at all. It's inked by Vince Coletta. So we have three people working on the art here. Jack does the layouts. Alex does the penciling. Vince does the, the inking. Uh, there are a few times where you can kind of sense Alex Toth's work coming out. And I think on page 262 the the top tier where you see Xavier's face, there's a lot of his style of shading on that, but Vince mm-hmm. also has a similar style of shading of of pen work there. So, um, but then also a few times in the faces, I think of on page two sixty three when Kane Marco's coming through the door and slaps the butler on the back. Um, mm-hmm. That that face that he's that of Kane Marco's there is a very Alex Toth kind of face, even though it's really small. I guess maybe another example is on two sixty five. Uh, the bottom panel where Kane Markle's looking really smug okay, looks yeah. very like Alex Toth as well. He just has an interesting style. Uh, a lot of it is, I think, obscured by Jack, Jack Kirby's layouts because Alex Toth doesn't do layout. He, he wouldn't lay out a page the same way that Jack does. And then Vince Coletta's inks also changed the artwork as well. So uh, I love Alex Toth. I think he's fantastic. He's got a great style. Uh, but you can see it come out more in like his Zorro work for Dell or the, the some of the horror stuff he did for DC. So check out his other work. It's, it's just really, really great. Oh, also, he was responsible for a lot of the character designs of like the Super Friends and the Hanna-Barbera Fantastic Four show from the 60s. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I think more people might be more familiar with that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, this issue, look, I mean, it doesn't look like any other issue in, in the whole book.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's really dark. It's kind of moody. It's got some great stuff to it.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And that kind of leads us to into the next issue. This is the second part to the Juggernaut story. This issue is called Where Walks the Juggernaut? And Xavier enlists the help of the Human Torch in order to help stop Juggernaut. So we get um, a guest star, of course. We haven't seen anybody interact with the Fantastic Four at all, but the the wedding of Reed and Sue is. I kind of think the same. It's like the same month as this, or right around this time. It's in Fantastic mm-hmm. Four Annual number three, and the X Men are there. They're at the wedding, but in this issue, Human Torch acts like he's never met the the X Men before. So I don't know exactly where this falls in continuity. Um, but this is kind of like the first meeting between Human Torch and all these guys. <laughs> um, oh yeah, and it actually yeah. it's it, it it references annual. Oh, it's Fantastic for annual number four. That's when when the wedding is, and right, it, it yeah. actually even references that here in this book
2: uh, in this issue. Yeah, so, yeah. I was, I was just about to say that. Like, yeah. So this this must be shortly after that the wedding. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just based on what uh what it says in the the panel. Well,
0: no, it says um it says. It says, Reed warned me that any of our old enemies are apt to set all kinds of traps for us to prevent our, his wedding prevent from the we- taking place. So it hasn't happened yet. So it's yet. The, before the wedding. Okay. It's before the wedding. But I yeah. think th- it says that the annual is on sale now. So some people might have already read the annual before reading this one. So there's an order, people, an order in which you have to read these things. <laughs> yep. This is the first issue with a new penciler. Jack Kirby is totally gone from the book now uh, because the Avengers has now moved to monthly and he's going to be devoting his time. Uh, Actually, no, that's not exactly true even because Don Heck sort of takes over that book. Um, Right. I'm not exactly sure...
2: Well, uh, yeah, but he's doing Fantastic Four, uh, he does Thor, he does Captain America. That's too. true, yeah, he's on a whole bunch of books, yeah.
0: so I think at this point he's just like, I gotta drop something, so he drops X-Men, and in his place mm-hmm. is a new guy, um, not actually a new guy, but he's credited as uh, Jay Gavin, but it's actually a pen name for Werner Roth, mm-hmm. and I've got two clips about Werner Roth from some interviews that I've done in the past. The first one is going to be uh, from Joe Sinnott, who was the inker on this issue. And then after that, I'll play one from Roy Thomas. And so I'll just do them back-to-back, one right after the other. My well, rock was so easy to work with. I only did one story for them.
1: It was uh, X-Men number 13, and I enjoyed it so much, but poor and I I think he pressed away shortly after that, and I never got to work with him again. But his work was so simple, it was so clean, and just a, an interest delight. believe me. Yeah, I can't even ever find a picture of him. Um, he was a middle-aged man, uh, a, l- a little stocky, uh, very mild-mannered, uh, very soft-spoken. Uh, never really got to know him that well. We we might have had a cup of coffee together or something, but we never really talked very much. So I don't, you know, so I, I never really got to know him. I saw him occasionally in passing, but we never really had any conversations that enabled me to uh, to, to get to know him. Mm-hmm. I you know I I just I never got the idea he was very you know passionate about his work. You know it was just uh, it was just his his job, and I think that's one of the reasons that maybe it didn't. The work wasn't more exciting. He caught the externals of the Kirby look, but he didn't get any. You know, he didn't catch the uh, the excitement. You know, and right. it, it's a shame because he was really a good artist. You know, with a lot of technical skill.
0: Okay, so in this issue, the the X Men have to overcome the Juggernaut, and they try their best. They try a whole bunch of stuff, and this is a great issue to show that people are thinking outside the box, coming up with new ideas. Uh, Iceman tries his best he this is not the time when I think that he comes up with the best plan that's another issue because all he really (laughs) does is try to surround Juggernaut in ice which is completely ineffective because Juggernaut just has to like wiggle his pinky finger and the and the ice just explodes (laughs) and I love on page 290 there's just piles and piles of broken ice all over the floor in this room and then in next panel it's like it's just all gone (laughs) <laughs> Where did it go? Yeah, and if it all melted, that is some serious water damage for to this house here. <laughs> that's
2: that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Not that they're caring because like the whole house is getting pretty trashed anyway.
2: Right, right. The yeah, the, there's a lot more juggernaut damage. <laughs> yeah, but and
0: I'm sure the human torch is adding some heat damage or fire damage to the walls or something like that as well.
2: Yeah, that's Just true. a lot
0: going on here. <laughs> mm-hmm this is also the first issue where there's actually some serious injury. In the past, we've seen, you know, the, the X-Men get thrown around and hit up against the walls or whatever. But they kind of just brush it off and, and go back to the fight. In this one, the Juggernaut seriously hurts the Beast's leg to the point where he has to, to crawl on his hands and knees in order to sound an alarm. It's the first real time where we've seen actual, um, actual injury that has repercussions. Yeah. They usually shy away from that in these these old issues.
2: Yeah. I love the – I guess it's the second-to-last panel of the story where, you know, all four of the male X-Men are all in bed, you know, yeah. just healing up. Yep.
0: I, I like the fact that Juggernaut – sorry, that Human Torch was in this issue. It was kind of nice, except for the fact that Xavier wipes his mind at the end. Like,
1: why <laughs> – Right. Why? Yeah.
0: Why do that? Why, is it so bad that you know one of the greatest heroes, part of the Fantastic Four, knows about the X Men? Like, why not create some allies
2: here, Xavier? Yeah, and don't the X Men show up at the at the wedding?
0: <laughs> yeah, they do <laughs>
2: too. So that's a little bit of a contradiction there. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. But oh well. <laughs>
0: I feel at this point Stan is also getting more taxed with just remembering his continuity pretty like he's only got a few more issues to go and then he's off of this book as well. He's concentrating right. on other things. Yeah. But this is the last issue also of bi-monthly and now X-Men is going to move to to be a monthly title, which also is probably why Jack Kirby leaves is like he knows he can't do another monthly title. In fact, that might be the actual reason why Jack Kirby leaves is because this book goes monthly. So he's only going to do layouts yep. for another issue or, or something. And then Jay Gavin but, is on his own. So do you want to take number 14?
2: Okay. Uh, yep, number 14. Among Us stock the Sentinels. Uh, first appearance of those lovable giant robots, the Sentinels. <laughs> 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 the story of the Sentinels is the... Oh, what's his name?
0: Trask? Bolivar Trask? Trask.
2: Yeah, yeah, Bolivar Trask. Uh, I was going to say Henry Gyrick, but that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> they work together on occasion, but no, that's a different guy. That, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's the guy who tries that's... to ruin the Avengers. Right, yeah. But yeah, didn't he also... I, I seem, it seems like in the... I mean, thinking back to the 90s X-Men, the animated series, they, they were they worked together on the Sentinels... But yeah, that's right. And anyways, that that doesn't matter. Yeah. So Trask uh, has designed and and built these robots to to track down all the mutants, and he's. It comes out on a on a TV show that Professor X and Trask are both on, where he's.
0: They're they're just debating the the existence
2: of mutants right. and whether the, or not they're dangerous. Right. Right. And while well, the Sentinel comes and grabs grabs professor x and then the the rest of the x men well i was going to say going to save him but he's he's not captured well i guess he is sort, sort of captured but the other x men come and fight the sentinels to to rescue him but also you know that's it's very troublesome that there that there's uh, these giant robots that are going to that are designed to track them all down and and kill them <laughs>
0: Yeah, I can see how that could be a problem for these guys.
2: Yeah, yeah, a little little bit of an issue. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and that's... Yeah, basically you know they fight the robots
0: yeah i there are a couple things here uh one of one is xavier is asked to be no he demands to be on the show he mm-hmm. says i need to he calls up the tv station says get me on tv with trask we need to talk about this uh in a public forum and the guy's like yeah yeah we'll do that right away it'll be a privilege to present a scientist of your stature on our network he's like a he's a famous scientist and they don't really make a big. I mean, we've I, I've said this before that uh, this this these early days really kind of show Xavier as a scientist building contraptions and that kind of thing. Which in modern days, I don't think of Xavier that way at all. But apparently, he's right. like renowned to um, a lot of people as a famous scientist.
2: Well, I I guess it was established earlier that he's you know works with the the government. Right. in in some some capacity i guess it's science (laughs) yeah but but it's it's kind of weird that you know we hadn't gotten any sense of that up until now right yeah but
0: there's um... a lot of patterns in this uh like when everyone is healing they all have to use their powers to show that they're healing when they go to town they all have to show how they disguise their mutant abilities when they go to town when they come for help, they all have to show their powers for how they arrive on the scene. Um, there's a lot mm-hmm. of that. It's just repeated, repeated over and over again. Um, kind of a fil- kind of like filler. Mm-hmm. Like we don't really need to show all of those times each individual person coming in with with their powers to uh, to save the day or whatever. It's just, it just it gets redundant. And I like it when it's like maybe once per issue because it's kind of quirky and a, and a thing of the time. But we don't need
2: it three times in one issue. Right. Yeah, when they're basically showing off, you know, their their same powers.
0: Yeah, the same powers. Again, yeah, yeah, we so. get it. Angel can fly, sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, yeah, surprising with those giant wings. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, as most good robot stories go, the Sentinels have too much intelligence and eventually betray their human masters and become. Uh, killer robots that is definitely a robot
2: trope and we see it here for sure goes all the way back to frankenstein (laughs) right
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so this leads directly into issue number 15 this one's called prisoners of the mysterious master mold the x-men are looking for the hidden base of the sentinels and they find it it's underground Uh, And they get knocked out by some gas. Some of them get knocked out by some gas and get captured. I guess it's actually only the Beast. The Beast, there's a cool parallel throughout this issue because the X-Men were able to um, subdue one of the the Sentinels at the TV station. So Xavier has that Sentinel in the X-Mansion, or not the X-Mansion, at the TV station, and is trying trying to learn more about it while the Sentinels have the Beast unconscious and are trying to learn more about... Humans or mutants, I mean, Uh, so there's a cool little parallel between those two two sort of plot threads there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, we meet the the guy, the the main, I don't exactly know how Trask did this, but he's built, or why he did it, but he's built a giant sentinel that's in charge of building other sentinels. Yeah. Why couldn't just be a normal machine that's built into the wall or something like that that makes the other other Sentinels? I, I have no idea.
2: Right, yeah, but it's it's a giant... I mean, the Sentinels are already giant, but yep. this is at least four or five times bigger and sitting in a, a, a throne... <laughs> Yeah, these early Sentinels are
0: actually pretty small. They're probably only about maybe, I don't know, maybe like 15 feet tall. Whereas we're right. used to seeing the the Sentinels that tower above buildings and rip off ceilings in order to look inside. Or like rip off the roof in order to look inside to see if the mutants there and that kind of thing. These are yeah. actually pretty tiny.
2: Right, I mean, still twice as tall as any of the, the human characters. Right, yeah, for sure. But... <laughs> Yeah.
0: But yeah, this Master Mole character is just, it's funny. He's like, I make all the Sentinels, but I don't know the formula. So I need to uh, force Trask to do it. So he still relies on humans in order to, to do his thing. Um, this was a pretty exciting episode too. Just uh, just trying to escape the Sentinels and escape their the base and being confined. We also get an origin story of the Beast. Find out about his childhood. And what happened when he first started manifesting his mutant powers. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of fun to have in here. Um, I felt like the uh, the end was a cool classic kind of 1950s Marvel ending where the human gets his comeuppance in the end. Yeah. Uh, it's a classic. It's one of these classic stories where the human creates something. Something goes wrong and the human ends up paying the price in the end. Right. So we don't right, really yeah. know what happens to Trask at the end here. He's just still captured by the Sentinels, and so um, I look forward to seeing the next time the Sentinels appear. Which I can't remember if it's in Volume Two or if it's the if it's the Neil Adams story in Volume Three. Uh,
2: I yeah, I guess I don't remember if they show up in Volume Two offhand or not. But yeah. well, we'll find yeah. out
0: when we tackle we'll those find issues. Find out. Yeah.
2: Yep, that's true. So I mean, that, that sort of covered issue 16 also.
0: Oh yeah, right. you're right. You know what? I forgot that this is a. Th- I I skipped ahead. This is a three-part. I totally right? skipped ahead. Oh no, ahead.
2: that's that's fine. I mean, <laughs> but it's it's mostly like the this third issue is. I mean, it's just all all just a fight basically.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's neat because we get to see more of the creation of the Sentinels. Um, what mm-hmm. they like, how they are made. It's it's weird because they're just like formed out of nothing, kind of.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. It's the the big uh, like panel on the wall, and uh, you know, with the I don't know eight glowing sections that like you know, <laughs> Flip the switch and then Sentinels will appear. Yeah,
0: yeah. I don't know how it works, but that's yeah. comic books. It's
2: right. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 uh, it's Marvel magic. That's what it is. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're and they're gonna they're gonna make hundreds. The Master Mold wants to make hundreds of these Sentinels. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they, I like that he that Trask has a, a change of heart and realizes that the X Men actually were the good guys after all, and ends up making the ultimate sacrifice. It's very cool. Yeah. Um. But yeah, yeah. totally, totally typical of. of a a Stan Lee story, I think, as well. It's it's written quite well. I I like these three issues a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think it's in this issue where Bobby has the idea that I really liked. Uh, On page 370, sorry, 347, they're trapped. The X-Men are trapped in this glass bubble or something like that. And he uses his ice to create, um, it starts to be a battering ram. But he creates it oh, the yeah. length of the of this egg dome that they're in, and he keeps applying more ice so that it would keep on stretching longer and longer, and eventually crack the shell. And it doesn't end up working, but it still shows some really some real ingenuity here. Like he comes up with a very creative idea of how to get out of there. Um, yeah, sure, it doesn't quite come up the way he wants it to, but I think it's a good moment for Iceman.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That is that is. Uh yeah good good use of his powers, you know more so than just freezing the bad guys and have them break <laughs> break the ice yeah um, exactly, but
0: yeah yeah, on the other hand though, there's a moment in this one where uh, there's a fire, and iceman says that he's weakened by the heat, and I didn't realize that uh that's something that happened to him um i mean it makes i guess it makes sense because you know he would melt or whatever, but I yeah. get, I got the impression from the previous issues, and I know this has been this has been re- retconned, that Iceman isn't fully ice. He just covers himself with a layer of ice or snow, mm-hmm. and that's what he. That's why he looks like Iceman. So the heat shouldn't render him unconscious or else it should render everybody unconscious because it's so unbearable. Yeah. Yeah, Stanley likes to put uh, these little weaknesses in his characters so that they have a time Mm -hmm. limit to their powers.
2: Yeah. Every hero needs some sort of kryptonite, right? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we can move on to issue number
0: 17. This has an all-red cover. I love it. I think it's it's fantastic. This issue, Jared, is actually the oldest issue of X-Men that I own. Okay. Yeah, I have this issue, and then there's quite a big gap between, before I have another issue of X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But whenever yeah, I see uh, a, a Jack Kirby... Silver Age comic for a good deal. I try to try to snap it up. I think it cost me like fifteen bucks about twenty years ago.
2: Nice. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In good condition or
0: it's okay. It's got oh. a it's got a tear on the cover, uh, which is yeah. why it was so cheap. But uh, it's still readable. Yeah. I read it read it m- many times. This one's called "And None Shall Survive." Uh, we have inks by Dick Ayers, and that's important, I think, because Dick Ayers really makes Jay Gavin's work or Werner, Werner Roth's work look like jack kirby again because mm-hmm. in these past few issues that have been inked by um by vince coletta it's kind of been a weird mix of different styles because we get the jack kirby layouts especially with like the the sentinel fights but the inking doesn't look like a typical kirby style ink like some how someone would ink kirby so it comes off a little bit different but this issue really really looks like uh kirby and it'll be interesting yeah. to see once Kirby stops doing the layouts, and Werner Roth can really, uh, really fully embrace his own pencils. The work changes again, and it looks really good. I actually like Werner Roth's work in these early days, uh, quite a bit. Uh, okay, but anyway, this is an issue that's kind of uh it's a it's a transition issue, which kind of sucks when you only own issue number seventeen, like I did for the longest time. <laughs> it's like nothing yeah. actually kind of really happens in this issue. Uh, all of the X-Men are healing, especially Bobby, who took the brunt of, uh, I guess, whatever, the fire really affected him. Um, yeah. But it's kind of weird because in the splash page, he's standing like there's no problem. But once he gets to the hospital, he is in the worst condition of all of them. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what's wrong with him, but he's in some sort of shock or or coma or something like that. But he's in a, he's in bad shape. Meanwhile, there's a sound of the alarm. They don't know what's going on, and they try to figure it out. Somebody has infiltrated the X Mansion, and the whole issue is the one—the X Men being taken down, kind of one at a time. And we find out it's by none other than our favorite bad guy, Magneto. <laughs> Let's
2: see. And this is also uh, the issue where uh, Angel's parents come to visit.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a kind yeah. of a cool plot device as well, just to add some extra tension. <laughs> I love how he's addressed. <laughs> um, then they come to the door. Well, who are you? I. I am Power.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh, yeah. nice to meet you, Mister Power. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I. I. I guess right before that, the the unseen foe <laughs> puts them all in. Not all of them, but... uh, All but Iceman. I guess all but Iceman in this little hot air balloon and (laughs) sends them up into the the sky. And that will be the end of the X-Men forever. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Why he didn't
0: just, like, kill them with the many booby traps he set in the house, I don't know, but... (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, yeah. (laughs) This this, uh, steel gondola that he put them
2: in will take care of them for sure. For sure, yeah. (laughs) With... I, I mean, couldn't he he just put them all in there and then and then crush the the metal ball? That's right. He should have done that. That's yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so so what we what we didn't say in the last issue was that Xavier had blocked the images of the X Men coming out of the Sentinels base from the police officers so that they wouldn't know that the X Men were involved at all. But in this issue, we clearly see that all of the police officers and stuff are attending to the X-Men uh, because they're they're injured. And he makes one, Xavier makes one comment, and says, um, or, so he's talking to an army general, and the army general's like, oh, the X-Men must be good guys after all. And Xavier says, oh, yeah, I think so too, general. That's, and then he thinks to himself, that's why I decided to release my mental hold over your mind so that the X-Men would get due credit. It's like, okay, <laughs> Stan is obviously um, putting in the dialogue because... So Jack was drawing it one way. Stan put on the dialogue in the previous issue. Jack never read the dialogue that Stan put on for the previous issue. So just started drawing things in this issue with the X-Men working with the police and stuff. And and, and Stan's like, oh man, now I got to write something <laughs> to uh, to fix my mistake from the last issue.
2: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of thing seemed to happen uh Maybe not a lot, but it, it, happened it wasn't pretty, pretty regularly. Yep, it happened yeah. quite a few times. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, yeah. that's uh, I guess that's the the Marvel method. That is the Marvel <laughs> so, method. Yeah. yeah.
0: So on the same page, on page three sixty-five, which is page two in this issue here. Uh, In -hmm. the middle panel, Xavier thinks to himself, what supreme irony. The Sentinels had been created to destroy the X-Men, and yet it was necessary for us to smash them in order to save humanity. The humanity which hates us. This is the first time we really get this slogan. Um, because the X Men kind of the, their their slogan or the catchphrase is protecting a, the, a world that hates and fears them. Right. That's kind of the catchphrase, and so this is really the first time that it's been vocalized by someone in the book here.
2: Yeah, and and that's sort of um, you know I, I've seen read interviews with stanley where he mentioned how he thought the the x-men was sort of i guess you could say informed by the the civil rights stuff that was going on in the u.s at the time
0: yeah definitely it's sort of an allegory for for racism in in america
2: yeah right right and uh yeah people have have uh not sure if stanley himself said this, or somebody else said it, but Professor X is sort of like uh, Martin Luther King, and Magneto was, is more like Malcolm X. I mean, they're right. both want the same thing, but going about it in totally different ways. Hmm. So, but
0: Yeah, I don't know that I would call Magneto Malcolm X at this point, because he's yeah. sort of, he's very, very evil.
2: It, right, yeah. He, but he, I can he's see the he's still the mustache-twirling yeah. <laughs> villain, you know. Yep. <laughs> but yeah. The
0: cover of this issue ha- says, um, "You must not reveal the incredible ending to any living soul." Remember, we'll be <laughs> watching you. Uh, and so, I want to apologize to everybody who's listening to this this podcast because we have already revealed the ending. That um, that's true. So yeah, yeah our apologies. <laughs> Please don't hold it against us. We we did something really bad there.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm... Yeah, uh, sorry, Marvel. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're not listening, Marvel. <laughs> you're <a> right, right. <laughs> oh, okay. okay, one last thing, and then I'm ready to move on. I don't know if you have anything more you want to say here. No, that's fine. Okay, so page okay. number 369, which is page 6 in this issue, Oh yeah, is a big splash page of Angel. I kind of think that this is one of the Marvel pinups that we had seen in the previous issues, because we got Marvel pinups from Cyclops and Beast and Marvel Girl, and then we never got any more. And I kind of feel like this is one of them, except they just worked it into the story and added the the dialogue and such. But it could easily be one of the Marvel Masterworks pinups. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um it looks a little bit more like Jack Kirby than the rest of the artwork, so that's my that's my guess. Okay. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense to have a huge splash page. That's not something that right they there. typically did in the middle of an issue in this era. They save the yeah. splash pages for the either the first page or the last page.
2: Yeah. Right. And well, I, I guess this this issue has three splash pages. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Which you know maybe. Makes me think that the like there wasn't enough story. (laughs) Well,
0: yeah, and that's kind of why they put those pinups in the books, anyways, because they are paid short. And so they just like, oh, yeah, here's a bonus pinup. They could have done that here too, but instead they worked it into the actual story. Yeah. 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 Anyway, that's it. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) So, yeah, let's uh, carry on with issue number 18.
2: Uh, Issue 18 If Iceman Should Fail. You know, as, as we left the previous issue, the the x-men and professor x all except for iceman are in that little steel ball in the balloon going up <laughs> and iceman is still in the hospital uh, still very hurt and and, and stuff but yep. professor x contacts him you know with his powerful mind like okay you must come save us so that that makes iceman get out of bed and come and face Magneto alone, <laughs> but meanwhile, in in the bubble, uh, Cyclops man- manages to shoot the the balloon, and they fall back to Earth, <laughs> just in the nick of time to help Iceman defeat Magneto, and. And save the day. Save the day. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: I think this is the first issue where we get some creative credits. Uh, at this, Up to this point, I think it's just been just kind of regular writing by, penciling by, that kind of thing. Yeah. But we get here A Fair Story by Stan Lee, Adequate Art <laughs> by Jay Gaffin, Tolerable Inks by Dick Ayres, and The World's Greatest Lettering by Artie Simic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's actually kind of the reverse, because if you read these credits, these funny credits in other books or later on here, the, the letterer is always insulted in these. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you yeah. get a little bit of a reverse. But it says it's because it's Artie Simic's birthday month, so they're going to give him a break. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, that that's fun. I, I always love those uh, creative Me too. Uh, credits. Yeah. Uh, we mm-hmm. also
0: have, uh, this is the first issue that is solely Jay Gavin doing layouts as well as pencils. And I think you can tell it's a little rough. It's not mm-hmm. as good as Kirby. And he actually learns, it's funny because Werner Roth is not a, he's not new to comics. He's been doing it for a while by this point. But yeah. even in this book, uh, in these first, these these few issues here, like his work goes from kind of mediocre in this issue to really quite stellar uh, toward the end of these the issues in this volume. Uh, so it's a little bit of a rough start for him, but it gets better. Yeah. yeah. And I like that this is a solo um, Iceman story. I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I just like Iceman in these early days. And to have him have to go up against Magneto by himself just fantastic Mm -hmm. none of the other characters have had a solo story where they are the feature character yet uh it's all just been everyone fighting together everyone gets one or two pages to show off their own powers and stuff and and their time to shine but this one's like all iceman
2: and it's great yeah yeah i definitely see the the character growth with iceman that you've you've mentioned before like yeah this this is uh yeah probably where it's most most evident Definitely, yep, for sure, yeah.
0: yeah. <sighs> Magneto, on the other hand, has had no growth. Nope, <laughs> he is. They they come with some just really lame, mediocre explanation of how he got back to Earth after being launched into space. Toad is apparently We're... still in space. <laughs> yep, <laughs> yep. And then, so he goes to the X Mansion, and before he decides to destroy it, he says, No, this will be my new base. And he starts building things, and he creates these humanoid androids. <laughs> Apparently, Magneto is also a brilliant scientist. Mm hmm. All of these guys are brilliant scientists. Right.
2: Well, that, that's uh, the first mutant power, isn't it? <laughs> the power of the brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the very end here
0: we have a scene of them eating dinner and Jean gray is serving them food. And this is, this is such a sign of the times. Anytime they have these things, these, these sort of scenes, Jean is always the one doing the cooking or serving them. Or if they're sick, she's the one who's bringing them medicine and that kind of thing. There's, it's always like this, uh, it's just a, a very typical nineteen fifties, nineteen sixties role for women
2: in society, kind of thing. Yeah, and and it's you know Jean, the one, the one woman taking care of uh five men <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> it's, it's kind of like i don't think so but <laughs> and it's
0: not it's not a big deal in these books they don't pump it up it's just kind of there right, it's just right. uh, it's just i noticed that because it's like why is she always why don't the other guys help out they're just sitting there waiting for the food to be taken and and or being sitting there waiting for the food being brought to them mm-hmm. it's like they should uh they should pitch in they're all there they're all the same age
2: they're all there to to work together <laughs>
0: <laughs> but they're leaving right, up the, yeah. the cooking for the woman.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it makes me wonder uh, how they how they managed before Gene showed up. <laughs> <laughs> it was a free-for-all. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> no order or no. anything. Yep. No. <laughs> okay, moving on to issue number 19. Lo, now shall appear The Mimic. <laughs> Now, I don't know about you, uh, but you're probably in the same boat as me. You know the Mimic mm-hmm. best because of the X-Men cartoon, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely, because <laughs> that first episode uh, where, uh, where Mimic appears and is offed almost right away. It's, it's like that was a, a big deal when that first came out. Yeah. And that's really, yeah. for the longest time, the only place I ever knew of Mimic was from that show. And he's so different in this first appearance right here. Right. His power is that he can um, well mimic. He can mimic the power of any mutant that he's close by. So when he's close to the X Men, he has huge feet and wings and ice powers and he can shoot blasts and it has telekinesis. Like he has it's the the full thing. He's kinda like the Super Skrull from the Fantastic uh-huh. Four, <laughs> except the Super Skrull gets to keep all of their powers no matter how far away from the Fantastic Four he is. I, I like how he revealed they reveal the powers because he kind of just stumbles upon new powers and he's like, Oh, suddenly I can create ice. I must be nearby Iced man. I think that's really kind of cool. What a what a weird power to have. You're just kinda of like walking down the street and all of a sudden like your neck grows really long because you're near a mutant whose neck is really long or <laughs> or all of a sudden, like you start shooting um, lasers out of your nose because you're nearby a mutant <laughs> that does that too. It's like it, it would just be sort of a an off-putting mutant power. <laughs> it would drive you kind of nuts.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so.
0: <laughs> One thing that I've forgot about is the fact that um, he also gets close to Xavier, so he also has mental powers. <sighs> he has he can read thoughts and control people's minds and stuff. He doesn't really use that very effectively. But it's a it's an aspect of mimic that I often forget because I I remember that you know he has the powers of the X Men but that also includes Xavier right yeah so throughout this one he uh, captures Jean Grey and takes her hostage and tells of his secret or his yeah he tells of his origin story Um, I don't think he's actually a mutant he was created by science He, Uh he was caught up in an explosion when he mixed some chemicals together. So, it just so happens that he can mimic uh, mutant's powers, but can he also mimic, like, Spider-Man's powers?
2: Right, yeah, yeah. Or, I don't really know. Yeah, or Thor's powers, or, or right. whatever. Yeah, Yeah. but he's yeah. not a mutant. Right. I do like his his design. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's just all, I guess, mostly just Cyclops, Beast, and Angel just kind of mushed together with a big M on his chest, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, it no, it's good. It's You'll remember it. It's better than uh, the Vanisher, that's for sure. Yeah. And yeah. it's better than Eunice's costume. Right, right. Yeah. No, it's, good. It's, yeah. it's a good. it's a good look. Yeah, so in this issue also we see the first appearance of Vera, who becomes uh, an important character in Beast's life throughout the years. Uh, yeah. She just makes yeah. a very... For
2: a long, long time. For a long time. <laughs> it's yeah. a, Just a
0: blink and you miss it kind of appearance here.
2: Mm-hmm so uh issue number 20 titled I Lucifer you know right then with the the title it's the return of you know my my favorite x-men villain I say sarcastically um <laughs> <laughs> it, anyway but it th- this uh, also has the the team up of blob and unis which which is kind of fun they're causing problems in x-men uniforms to... Basically, frame frame the X Men uh, so that society doesn't doesn't like them. <laughs> it's a pretty good plan. And yeah, and uh, yeah, it's, it seems to work. But I guess there there hasn't been a, a fat X Men before, <laughs> <laughs> like that. So, but the, I, don't I don't think know. the public's not paying that close attention uh yeah, to that's like true. the actual
0: members of the team or anything like that but it's also just striking to me that the number of times the x men has to just deal with bank robbers at this point like if you look at x men comics today they deal with stuff on such a global and even extraterrestrial level mm-hmm. that this just seems so so simplistic but it was a big deal for the x men to try and overcome at the time
2: right yeah well i guess there was a lot of a lot of the 60s was uh, Comics—they were going up against bank robbers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, and that hardly anyone does that anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe just Spider-Man. I think you—that's
0: <laughs> it. Yeah, you'll just see that in <laughs> Spider-Man comics, but that's about it. Yeah,
2: but I—I I th- I think my favorite part of this issue is the—the the flashback scene where uh, it shows how uh, Blob and Unis met, and of course, it's because Blob decided to become a wrestler. <laughs> and and... (laughs)
0: right and they faced off against each other that was really funny yeah the guy who can't be
2: touched and the guy who can't be moved (laughs) (laughs) right right anyways but uh lucifer who who now like they changed changed his the color of his outfit so now he he looks almost exactly like magneto exactly yeah like why did he do that that's such a weird choice because it's like yeah I, maybe the colorist didn't realize that this wasn't Magneto. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, but it's—I I, I mean, I, I guess it just goes to show how how forgettable Lucifer is. Yeah. Oh yeah, and this is also the issue with the the flashback uh, showing how how Professor X uses the loses the the use of his legs. Right. Yeah. Kind of underwhelming. It's. It is. Yeah.
0: I was kind of it hoping is. that it would be something a little it's bit more...
2: But Lucifer just drops a big rock on his legs. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know if they ever retcon that or whatever, but... Uh, we also yeah, find
0: but... more about Lucifer's past in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, oh,
2: that, that he's an alien. Yeah,
0: because and we had no idea based on that one issue from a year ago. Uh, that he had, that he was alien in nature, and that he's there on Earth in order to build something that's going to destroy the or conquer the planet, the Dominus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is the first issue. We also see an X Jet of some sort. It's not exactly the Black Wing, uh, the, sorry, the Blackbird, but yeah. it's uh, definitely an X Jet. Xavier must have a lot of money.
2: That's that's true. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just a jet with a little X on the the tail.
0: <laughs> yeah. So this really is just a the first part of a two-part episode, or, or two-part story. Uh, oh, this right. is the first right. issue that's scripted by Roy Thomas. Oh, okay, yeah. So I'm going to play a clip of Roy Thomas talking about coming into the X-Men at this time.
1: Yeah, I actually uh, that was had two different spells on the X-Men. Uh, the first was around 1966, when after, I think with issue number 20, Stan stopped Writing it, and one day uh, just handed me an already plotted story that Werner Roth had drawn uh, of, for X-Men number twenty, and said, "From now on, you're the X-Men writer." You know, so, <laughs> easy as that. That's basically it. Yeah. So I, I worked on it for I, I don't know. I guess around a year or something like that with Werner and a couple other people. Uh, Jack Sparling did a story. Uh, Dan Adkins did one, and so forth. Most it was Werner more than anyone, uh, but I was kind of. Uh, eager to move on to something else. By that time, I was doing the Avengers and a couple of other books. And and uh, I wasn't that wild about doing the X-Men. I don't think I was adding that much to it. it. It had never been a top seller under, you know, Stan and Jack either. I think the highlight was, the high point was definitely the Sentinels story just a couple of months before he gave it to me. But the fact remains, it had always been what the weaker of one of the weaker of Marvel's titles. It was like, think about the last one, for example, to go from bimonthly to monthly.
2: It's kind of funny how he he mentioned how he uh, didn't really care about the X Men. Really, he was, it was just <laughs> yep. sort of a job. Yeah. right. <laughs> and that's
0: part of why it didn't really go anywhere. And, and volume two has some pretty dreadful uh,
2: issues because yeah. Roy Thomas didn't really care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just uh meeting the deadline, you know. Yeah. I mean, which is which is fine, nothing wrong with that, but it's just <laughs> not as good as as how it's uh as it is later. Yeah.
0: Uh okay. Issue number 21 from whence comes Dominus. So here's Lucifer's plan. He has been sent to Earth and I guess through some sort of light teleportation beam His superiors have transported heavy machinery to um, some sort of undisclosed, I think maybe, what is this, New Mexico or something like that, probably. Uh, Anyway, so he's building an underground machine that's going to conquer the planet. He calls it the Dominus. Uh, he's captured Xavier, and they, all of the X-Men have to go and save Xavier. But then they get cu- captured as well. So there's a bunch of things at play. In the end, he's not success- successful, and uh, the machine is destroyed, and this appears are like, you, you're worthless. We're sucking you back to our planet. And, and that's it. That's the end of Lucifer. It's, yep. So this is the issue <laughs> where I noticed that I really like Werner Roth's pencils and his layouts. I especially like the scene where the scene where they are uh, fighting those cowboys mm-hmm. and you get like the the horse and they're they're in the water and that kind of stuff. There's just some really nice layouts and uh, he tells the story really well. It's a far cry from the previous the, that that first issue that he did that wasn't very good.
2: I, I love the the visual of that that one cowboy on the horse but the, his chest and arms are in an ice cube. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great, but <laughs> Yeah,
0: and it's like he's going to get some horrible frostbite from being encased in ice <laughs> like that, but Ice Man's like, "Ah, you will be fine."
2: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and if it's I don't know, New Mexico or wherever, it, like the ice won't last too long, but <laughs> yeah, that's
0: true. Well, maybe he won't get frostbite yeah. then.
2: Yeah. I'd like the the robots that Lucifer uses.
0: They kind of remind me of there is a robot that Galactus has in I think it's the in the yeah. coming of Galactus story. They, it's called the Punisher robot, created many mm-hmm. many years before the Punisher actually was a was a character,
2: and the design right.
0: kind of reminds me of these these robots here.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I I, I remember that that guy. <laughs> So
0: Xavier spends his time in uh, in a helmet that blocks uh, Lucifer from getting to his mental powers, but it makes him look like Mr. Freeze from the <laughs> yeah, old uh, Adam West show. Not the yeah. not modern Mr. Freeze who's all blue, but he definitely just looks like that funny Mr. Freeze from the Adam West show. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, I think when Mr. Freeze first showed up, he was called Mr. Zero.
0: Oh yeah, Mr. Zero, that's right. That's who, that's who <laughs> but,
2: it was. right, but I mean it, it, it's the same guy, they just changed his name. Yep. Yeah. Sort of nice to see Lucifer going away. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, is I, I guess this is the the issue where he has the biggest evil plan and all that, but it's uh I don't know, it's, it's it it still it doesn't seem as like creative as lots of other evil plans from from the the time.
0: That's true. It's just a giant apparatus that will mind control people. So yeah. I think that's all it that yeah. really is. Right, right. But Well, let's move on then yeah. to the next one.
2: Okay. Issue 22, Divided We Fall. This is uh, Count Nefaria, and he gets some lame... <laughs> <laughs> Villains uh, from from other other series and to team up to take on the the X Men and at the end of the issue uh, all the all the X Men are captured. That seems to be a regular thing with these guys, right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Let's see who the, it's the porcupine, the unicorn, scarecrow, and oh, what's the other guy? The eel. The eel. And okay. Pl- and yeah. plant man. Plant man. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, just a bunch of—I don't know—a bunch of losers, basically.
0: <laughs> these are all characters that either appeared in Iron Man or Human Torch stories in Strange Tales. Mm-hmm. And I think Count Nefaria himself is an Iron Man character, right? Uh, in these early
2: days, um,
0: he, becomes I, a, he becomes more of a—he becomes more of an Avengers big player, and of course, he has a very pivotal moment in the early days of the the new uncanny x-men in the 70s. Yep. But here he's just kind of he's a mob boss. He's in charge of right. the the Magia, the Magia or however you pronounce it and and, and he's just out to uh, I love his plan is to <laughs> capture, like, to put a, he puts a dome around um, the White House, and he wants to hold it ransom for a large yeah. sum of money. But that's his big plan. Actually, I think he doesn't do that till the next issue, so I'm, I'm kind of skipping ahead again. <laughs> so this issue, <laughs> um, we, it's, it's your typical one-on-one showdown between, you know, one hero versus one villain, and they each meet mm-hmm. each other independently and are bested by them. And then so in the next issue, they have to figure out ways to overcome their odds. And they kind of place the characters with similar powers, like the unicorn has a beam, so he faces ice uh, he faces Cyclops who has a beam, yep, and uh that actually might be the only real similarity there. The other characters are pretty different <laughs> um yeah, but yeah it is it's actually kind of nice to see these characters come back because they don't really get a whole lot of spotlight, even though probably because they're kind of lame but but yeah. it's good to see other villains from other books show up. And you know, right, hey, it's, right. it's not Magneto. This could have easily been Magneto
2: calling all of these characters together. That That's true, yeah. But instead <laughs> it's Count Nefaria. Yeah. I think the, the highlight for me was early on the training sequence with the giant robot.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah. First of all, I love that Xavier has built a giant robot and it's in their mansion. I love that. <laughs> Yep, And yeah, yep. <laughs> um, the the point where uh, Cyclops figures out how to defeat the robot and Xavier thinks to himself that Cyclops has proven himself a resourceful leader. Like he, he's like, yeah, I've chosen the right guy to lead this team. And he's proving himself mm-hmm. in this battle. And I thought that was a nice moment. Yeah. And then on page 475, which is page 7 in this issue, Xavier sends them all on a vacation. So they all leave the mansion and he's sitting in there feeling sorry for himself because he can't walk. And I thought this was sort of out of character for Xavier because he has never once in this book lamented the fact that he can't walk. Right, yeah. And I, I love the fact that he is, um, he's a disabled person, but he doesn't let that stop him. He doesn't let that, he doesn't dwell on that. He doesn't feel sorry for himself. He, he's a very, um, he's a very inspiring figure because, mm-hmm. it, despite the fact that he can't use his legs. So it's very out of character that he's like crying to himself because he's hopeless in a wheelchair. Yeah. I didn't really like that dialogue, but that right, might just be right. Roy Thomas coming on board, not knowing really what was going on before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, And it also kind of lends itself to the, the plot device of Xavier creating something that will help him walk in the next issue. Mm-hmm. So the next issue is issue number 23. It's the final issue in this book. It's called To Save a City. Action lovers, this one is for you. It says quite prominently on the cover. And I would have to agree with that. It's actually tons of action as the X-Men face off against all of these villains again. Yeah. And it's pretty fun. There's a there's like a hot potato kind of sequence where they all have the 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 briefcase that has the ransom money in it. And they have to it's like in Endgame or in Infinity (laughs) War, where they're all like throwing the gauntlet around and then trying to keep it away from Thanos. (laughs) It's the same thing here. Yep. (laughs) And uh, and inside, you know how much Count Nefaria is keeping is holding the White House ransom? one hundred million dollars <laughs> yeah. like i remembered that scene from everyone loves a scene from austin powers where yeah. dr evil's like one million dollars it's like shoot a little higher try and get in the billions there <laughs> you're holding the the whole nation captive you could probably shoot a little higher than a hundred million dollars
2: right. yeah yeah that's true and Mind then, you, I know uh,
0: this is 1960s, so million, hundred million goes further than it does today. But but still, exactly. I think he calls it on the last page of this issue. He says a hundred million dollars, wealth beyond the imagining of most mortals. <laughs> it's like,
2: I'm pretty sure I can imagine more than a hundred million dollars. I yeah, I'm not sure I can imagine having that much, but <laughs> right. <laughs> I could yeah, imagine having that much. It, it's yeah. far fetched, but I could.
0: It's, it I could imagine far-fetched. myself yeah, having that right?
2: that kind of money. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that that that's true. Like, yeah, what would I do with that money? Maybe buy the original issues.
0: Yes, <laughs> that's right. It would all be gone after you bought Action Comics number one. But <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, maybe not. No, it would go further than that. But it, 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 right. Right. Yeah, barely. you could
2: probably get the first ten Action Comics. <laughs> <laughs> no.
0: um... This is the first issue where Werner Roth is credited by his actual name. No longer <laughs> will we see Jay Gavin. I wonder if people people wouldn't know. In fact, the first time I read these issues, I had no idea that Jay Gavin wasn't a real person. I just thought it was a, a, a change in penciler, but right. but it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. So did you like this um, this ending to this issue with uh, the walking professor?
2: <laughs> it it's uh, it... Well, it 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 was fun. It was it's I guess different than than anything that has happened before. But uh, yeah, it just kind of came out of nowhere. I thought. I don't know. There there, there have been several issues in this book where uh, basically the the professor comes in and saves the day with his his mind power. Right. That's right. You know, that doesn't the, let the X Men yeah. do it for themselves. Right. Right. And I guess this but, is
0: one of those examples.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But but no, it was uh, I don't know fun seeing him walk, and and also it's good to not have Magneto again. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. So, Oh, <laughs> well, don't worry, he'll yeah. be back. I yeah, I, I know. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it's for a, a while. Nah, I, I think I'm it's like sure.
0: he's on the cover uh, of volume two, so I know he appears somewhere in there.
2: Well, right, right, but I I, I want to say it's issue like forty or something. Okay. Yeah.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of this book and the end of our episode. Overall, <laughs> what are your what are your
2: thoughts here, Jared? Well, the the material is you know obviously dated, but that that's fine. But if if you enjoy '60s comics, these aren't that bad. There there's some other you know better stuff by Stan and Jack. But uh, this this is a pretty good start to the X Men series, I think. You know, yeah. set up to for. Uh, for I guess when Claremont comes on, <laughs> I feel like it's it is fairly typical of what you would get from the '60s. I,
0: yeah. I do think that it's not as strong as the Fantastic Four. Like if you think about it, Fantastic Four at this time has done the Galactus trilogy already. They they're in mm-hmm. the Inhuman saga and they're they're there's just some incredible stuff over there and Stan and Jack are not able to c- recreate the same magic that they did with Fantastic 4 with the X-Men. It's just not the right. same. Uh, and they and so it it suffers a little bit in these early issues, but uh, yeah, there's stuff to love and it's great to just learn about the history and and see where these a lot of these characters, the heroes and the villains come from. Um, highlights for me are definitely the Juggernaut issue and the KSAR issue, uh, and, mm-hmm. and the first issue I enjoyed too, the the very first issue.
2: Yeah, but uh, it's you know like as we've we've said like they used Magneto too much and he didn't have any growth or change at all. He was just always always the the bad guy. But uh, yeah, he becomes much more interesting later on, and. You know, even characters uh, like the the X Men themselves they they all go through a lot of changes and uh, interesting stories. <laughs> do they ever? Yeah, every single yeah. one of
0: them is is completely changed from one point to the other. Uh, yeah, 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 so, yeah. Need to see the, the <laughs> beginnings here. Right, right. So, bonus features in this one include a bunch of original art pages. Uh, including an alternate cover to issue 10 with KSR so that's kind of cool to see, uh, and some house ads and that kind of stuff. Not too much, but that's okay, because it's still a packed volume. And, mm-hmm. yeah, the next time, we'll have to we'll have to return to this and ha- tackle volume two at some point. Not for a while, please, because <laughs> I I like to space out my reading of Stan and Jack stuff, although I guess the next issue is not even Stan it, and Jack. It's Roy Thomas it's, and Werner yeah. Roth, so... Right, um, right. I don't need to be in a hurry to get to Volume 2 quite yet. So why don't we talk about something else? Um, yeah. Do you, wanted, do you have an idea in mind?
2: I was thinking Captain
0: America 13. Yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. Yeah. Following from our previous time, we talked about the Serpent Society. So this would be um, if... Justice is Served? Uh, yep. Nice. Yep. Yeah, this will be great. I, I actually haven't read the Scourge story, so I'm very interested in reading this. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Let's do it. That'll probably be, right. I would say, maybe sometime in, in January, February, early 2020. So okay, expect to hear another episode from Jared then. Well, oh, actually, yep. um, I might get Jared back on the show as a guest star to talk about a few things here and there between now and then. So um, I haven't told mm-hmm. Jared about that. I'll have to <laughs> I'll, I'll let you know when we're not recording. <laughs> okay (laughs) okay perfect but we will see everybody next time have a great day and uh yeah catch you on the next episode all right yep see you later